0: Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 220. I'm your host, Paul Reichoff. April... Is almost over, but it's starting just like it began with lots of showers all month long. It's been a constant downpour of chaos and craziness, and there's no sign of it letting up. And therefore, this is definitely a time to stay vigilant.
1: We have some news from within our Fox family Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. And starting tonight, Fox News Tonight will air live at 8 p.m. Eastern. It will be an interim show with rotating Fox News personalities until a new host is named. We want to thank Tucker Carlson for his service to the network as a host and prior to that as a long-term contributor.
0: They say April showers bring Mayflowers. Well, we'll see. And I'm not sure that there'll be flowers as much as mushrooms popping up everywhere as mushrooms grow and shit. But April has been a fierce one, with wave after wave of intense political and news storms. And this week was dominated by tropical and fascist Storm Tucker. Yes, folks, Tucker Carlson is out. And America, and the world, are better for it. I think especially about how many military chow halls, bars, and other group venues will no longer broadcast his garbage. This change, immediately, dramatically, and positively impacts our entire national fabric. Tucker's not the only one. Don Lemon is out too. Over at CNN, Don Lemon was fired. Now, they're obviously very different, but America just got smarter for this move, too. There's never been a single day in cable news history when the overall broadcast landscape has improved more than it did on that one day this week. So, Tucker Carlson is out, Don Lemon is out, too, but Trump is not out. He's very much in. Governor, will show you falling behind uh, uh, Trump. Any thoughts on that?
1: Gosh, not I'm, a not, I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if, uh, if and when that changes. <laughs> and you can see
0: and hear it on Ron DeSantis every single day. Trump is already smushing and rattling him. And we all know what happens when Trump smells blood in the water. So Trump is coming. And Biden is now officially in, too. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Yep, it's official. With a pretty decent video, Biden made his announcement. With an extremely effective sprinkling of fear that usually only comes from the Republican side. And so the stage is already effectively set. Unless one of them, or both of them, gets sick, dies, or goes to prison, and maybe even then still, it'll be Biden versus Trump again. So strap in, folks. It's on. As we end April and start May... It is on, all of it, and the storms will continue to pour, because stakes is high.
1: With
0: so as April comes to a close, the stakes are still high. And the biggest storm of all still looms and gathers as the world watches and braces for it. I'm talking about the spring offensive in Ukraine. We've all seen it gathering. We've all heard the news reports. We've all watched the pieces come into place. And any day now, or maybe months from now, it will hit. Maybe more like a tectonic earthquake on a fault line than like a hurricane. It is coming. We just don't know when, but it will be big. The biggest conventional war engagement we've seen since World War II. And as we have for the last year since the war began, this show will keep a focus on Ukraine. Because in the midst of all the other storms happening this month, the war in Ukraine is the big one. And as we have for the last year, we're not just gonna track on it from a TV screen or watch it from afar. We're going to take you inside in our uniquely independent and experienced and authentic way, as only this show can, with a guest who is a returning champion, a brave and inspiring leader who joined us almost exactly one year ago this week. But one year ago, he was in Connecticut trying to get people out of the storm in Ukraine, working with his Ukrainian wife to get his wife's parents out of the storm, out of Ukraine. And now, one year later, like helpers do, he's running into the storm. And after getting others out, he's going back in. He's preparing and training many more to go even further in, into the biggest military engagement of our generation, maybe in two generations. He's a father. He's a former Army Ranger, a combat veteran, a professor, a patriot. He's an American and a global citizen with a deep allegiance to all that is good and right. He's a helper, and he's a fighter. And as the storm of the century looms and gathers at the end of this month, he's right in the middle of all of it. And he talked to us exclusively in the calm before the storm that will take countless lives and forever shape history. He's a true American, Ukrainian, and global hero. He's Adrian Bonnenberger, coming to us exclusively from an undisclosed location inside Ukraine. You might remember Adrian from that show on episode 169 a year ago. As the rumors of a Russian buildup were swirling that winter, the writer and army veteran Adrian Bonnenberger knew it was a time for action. After experiencing the killing of his own translator by the Taliban during the fall of Afghanistan, and with his wife and fellow journalist Irina Solomenko and her family firmly in the crosshairs in Kiev, he knew there was no cavalry coming to the rescue. So together with our friend and a guest on this show, Matt Gallagher, and a man named Ben Bush, they formed a plan and went in to help evacuate her parents and train and organize local civilians so they could protect themselves. They shared their inspiring story with us in the early days of the war. Now, one year later, Adrian is back, solo, from inside the storm center that is a training location deep inside Ukraine. Adrian was an infantry officer who deployed twice to Afghanistan. He co-edits something called The Wreath-Bearing Tree and lives and writes in Ukraine and in Connecticut, and his work has appeared in The Times, The Washington Post, Deadspin, Foreign Policy, Forbes, and many others. And as I highlighted a year ago, and is even more true today, the Ukrainians are fighting and winning against overwhelming odds And we could all learn something from them, something important, something we all need to be reminded of the value of freedom, the value of democracy, and the horrible price of tyranny when that freedom is taken away. And it's something we face in America now more than any other time in recent memory, especially if you're a woman or anyone who needs abortion care, or if you're a trans person that simply wants to exist, or if you're a veteran who depends on VA benefits, or if you're a child who wants to go to school without the threat of being massacred. As we lose more and more of our freedoms and our rights, we mourn. And despite this mourning, we will continue to fight. Because whether it's in Ukraine or in the US, this is a time for fighters. This is a time for vigilance. this is a time for fighters this is a time for vigilance this is for people who can stand up to the storm this is the time for people who can be the storm Welcome to the final days of an April full of storms. Welcome to a look inside a training center, preparing for the biggest military offensive in modern times, and welcome to a look inside the heart of a freedom fighter, and into the heart of America. Welcome back to Ukraine. Welcome to the calm before the storm. Welcome to Independent Americans, Episode 220. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to an episode that defines why I want to do this show. Uh, um, We are bringing a very important, timely, inspiring guest, a returning champion back on the program um, to enlighten us on the most important issue facing our country and our world. I am humbled, inspired, and proud to welcome back to the show Adrian Bonnenberger, welcome back to Independent Americans, my friend.
1: Thanks for having me on, Paul. It's a privilege to be here.
0: So we may get cut in and out. Uh, if we do, we'll pick it back up. Um, it was one year ago that you joined us on this show with your wife, Irina. And at that point, you were getting, uh, working on getting your in-laws out of Ukraine it's a year later, a lot has changed. Um, first of all, just thank you for doing this. Uh, and then I'll start off with a question I ask
1: everybody. Where are you and how are you? Um, I am in, I'm back in Ukraine. Um, not totally surprisingly. I think uh, I really, in in a lot of ways, didn't want to leave Ukraine to begin with. Um, in March of last year, when we left, uh, it was the situation was obviously unsettled. And though the Ukrainians have done a, a, a ton to uh, to improve that situation, um, there's there's still a lot to be done. Um, I'm good uh, right now. I, I left my position. Uh, I left my job. Uh, I joined the Ukrainian military, so that's where I am now. And I'm helping them prepare. For, uh, for the upcoming offensive to, to take back their territory.
0: So I want to unpack all of this, right? I mean, you are, um, I, for folks who were who watching on video, you're in camouflage. You've got camo netting behind you. Um, you're using a handheld phone to record this. We may get interrupted. Um, but, but, but set the stage for us as much as you can. Um, why, why did you do this? And, and where are you, as, as, with as with much operational security specifics as you can, why did you do this? And explain where you are right now and what you're doing.
1: I'll start with uh, the where I am in general terms. Um, I'm in a training area with uh, one of the many Ukrainian units that are preparing um, for Nobody really knows, I think, uh, where and when the offensive will strike. Uh, Ukraine's general staff is figuring that out uh, as we speak. Uh, probably, um, I think this is open source at this point, with the assistance of U.S. intelligence and assessments. Um, but we're doing uh, really basic, like uh, any, uh, any infantry officer would understand what we're doing now. We're doing, um, you know, Ranger school, small unit leadership, small unit tactics, um, and and stitching that in together, uh, the infantry, the mechanized infantry, the armored units, the artillery, uh, and you can hear it all coming together at all hours of the day. So if you hear any booms, please excuse that. That's what that is. Uh, Night training, day training. Um, I've been here for a little over a month, and uh, it was pretty quiet when i got here to begin with but it picked up pretty quickly um so yeah so so where i am i can't say exactly but there's a number of these training areas uh across ukraine and uh and uh, they're all very busy as uh as i understand i can see here it's incredibly busy here um and i think you know probably tens of thousands of soldiers are getting ready to uh you know to do the big thing. Um, and, and I don't know where that big thing is going to happen, um, uh, when it's going to happen exactly. I think the Ukrainian staff, has, uh, the, the general staff, has a good idea of that. Um, but a lot of it depends on readiness. Uh, and readiness comes back to, you know, why I'm here. The why I, I came back is uh, I, I didn't really want to leave the country to begin with um, when we got my in-laws out. I, I saw that there was a lot of training that needed to be done, a lot of preparation for the military. And uh, since that time, I have, uh, in, when I came back, I, I saw that that's still the case. I mean, at a platoon level, at a company level, at a battalion level, like there's an almost infinite need for training. Uh, you were in Iraq, uh, you know. You think about all the glasshouse training uh, we did, you know, for CQB uh, that stuff. I mean, like that's the type of thing that they need. Uh, a lot of folks here are, you know, either on the front line, um, or are just coming into the military with very little experience. So something that, uh, Western trainers, American veterans can do is come over here and help folks prepare. So I I knew about that from my first hitch over here. Uh, I wanted to do something a little bit more direct and, uh, and so that's why I came back to do this. I knew that, you know, helping helping them get ready for this offensive was was probably going to be the single uh, most useful thing I could do as a democratic citizen, um, citizen of the US, citizen of the democratic world, the civilized world.
0: So, you have a, a you have a writer's eye in mind and and you can paint a very powerful picture and I'm going to ask ask you to do that. But also, just talk about maybe the the process. You and I are friends. We stay in regular touch. You've been on the show. We work together in a lot of causes, you know. And and I knew this was coming. We have lots of friends who are American veterans, who are NATO veterans, who have gone at different points in the last year. Um, You went from Connecticut uh, in, in a civilian job. You're not a young guy anymore. You're not 21 years old. Um, and now, you know, you, you got gr- a graze in your beard and you got camouflage on, you got a rifle up and you might be going off to die for a cause. Can you talk about, you know, in your mind, what was that process like? Was there something that pushed you to the point where you're like, all right, now I'm going. Oh, and then once you decided to go, as much as you're able, what was it like as an American veteran to join up for the fight in the Ukrainian military now? We've covered this over the last year. It's, it's changed. It's evolved. But can you explain what that process was like?
1: Yeah, I think the process, the process has been different for different people. And you'll see some folks who joined the, uh, the International Legion, uh, there are other folks like me who joined the Ukrainian military to do something like this, um, and then there are a lot of people back home who are either raising money uh, or volunteering to help. Um, you know, uh, throw the 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 product of that money into uh, into packages and, and ship it over. For me, I knew you know the U.S. invested seven years of, of time in me. I went through ranger school. I went through Lurslich reconnaissance school. I spent time as a platoon leader and an executive officer with the 173rd airborne. I spent time as an AS3 and then as a company commander with the 10th mountain division. Um, and I think there are, I I knew what I had to offer to, to the Ukrainians. Um, I, I I didn't know exactly how that was going to be useful. Uh, because the Ukrainian system is a bit different from the U S system. You have a kind of, uh, a, a, there are two parallel systems here. I don't know if you heard that, but, uh, there are two parallels. Can, can systems. you pause? Tell us what did we, what did, what did we just hear sort of? What was I, it? I don't even know either. That was T 72 training or, uh, or maybe artillery training or mortar training, but it's real close. Um, thank you. Uh, the type of small unit training is very close to what uh, the Ukrainians um, experienced in 2014, especially the mil, uh, the militias and the paramilitaries. And that all got wrapped into the regular military in 2015. Um, but then what happened in 2022 was a lot of folks who had been officers in the 1990s or even the 1980s or sergeants in the 1980s and the Red Army, the Soviet army Mm -hmm. got wrapped in as well. So you have two very different competing doctrines at play. And uh, I realize this isn't going to be an exact answer to your question, but one of the great sort of challenges here is taking those two very different experiential modes and bringing them together. Um, I've been treated extremely well. I mean, you can only join, join the, the the ukrainian military uh if you want to keep your citizenship you can only train as uh, you can only join as a soldier um but i've been treated uh, uh you know i've been given essentially the um the respect uh, not the privileges but the respect of an officer, so uh, folks sort of understand that I occupy these dual roles, and as a result, I'm able to sort of advise the the people uh, from who have read Army experience, some of whom have experience in Afghanistan, 1980 to 1989, um, and give really good training. I think s- substantive Western style training to the folks who are just joining the military now with no experience.
0: So you are, do you have dual citizenship? And, and and what's the unit like that you're 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 operating in? Are you operating in English? Are you operating in Ukrainian? How is that you know uh, you know functionally working for you?
1: I'm an American citizen, and uh, the unit that I'm with, I'm with a pretty special unit. I'm with a, a reconnaissance unit, and there are people here who speak English, which facilitates training. But a lot of the training that one does in the military is it doesn't even require English. It just requires demonstration. I'll give you an example of what I mean here. Um, today we were doing CQB training, so we were you know entering a building and clearing it, um, uh, an an urban task, which tells you something about what the Ukrainians themselves are expecting, and uh, the, the the units. Uh, these team size units three to four people um, were doing a pretty good job they were they, they wanted to go faster than they needed to and they were making the same type of mistake so I just jumped in uh, I I jumped in the stack at the front and uh, and I did a couple of reps myself with the with the groups and then they understood but it was nonverbal a lot of this stuff is very common sense Um, you know this. You know military stuff is all very, very common sense. And then you just train it over and over and over again, and, and you get good at it. And if you have time to train these tasks over and over again, and you get good at them, and you you take them seriously, then you're lethal. And if you don't have time, if you're just thrown to the front, um, or you don't take it seriously, then you have real problems. But the people here, for these people, it's life and death. They understand that if the Russians come here. Then, um, you know, whether it's them or their parents or their family, that they're going to, you know, something terrible is going to happen to them. So it's like, I mean, the, the people here learn in a day what folks back home would learn in a week.
0: Got it. Got it. And for Thank folks who don't know, CQB is close quarters combat. So we're talking about urban environment, combat training um you know kind of the stuff unfortunately you've been seeing in swat teams in 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 mass shootings lately right is probably the most inside look that people have had um adrian i know i know that by being there already you're willing to die for this cause but can you explain quite simply why are you willing to die for this cause you could be hit by a rocket right now you could die in the next couple of weeks Um, and I think what you're doing is heroic and important, but for Americans back home who maybe, or anyone who's listening, why are you willing to die for this?
1: To me, there's no difference between what the Ukrainians are doing here today, what they're fighting for and what my ancestors fought for in the revolutionary war or the civil war or world war one or world war two. Um, They're fighting for the right to live in a country that's free and uh, corruption has been minimized and they don't have to worry about being shot or rocketed just walking down the street. So I understand too that the type of idea that has come into this country to destroy them or kill them uh, is an idea that, that doesn't stop in Ukraine or Poland or Germany. It keeps going as far as it can. And, Left unchecked, it will come to the United States of America. So, being you know willing to die here is the same as being willing to die in the United States of America, which of course I am to protect my family.
0: How does it feel? And this is a big question how does it feel versus how you felt when you deployed after 9 11? I don't know, but from afar this feels like more of a pure cause than I fought for in Iraq. And I don't know how I would wrap my head around that if I were in your shoes, but can you explain how it feels to be in this fight versus the other fights you've been in, in the last 20 years?
1: Certainly that's exactly right. Um, to, to, for me, I went to Afghanistan twice, but both times I thought I was going to Iraq. Um, for me as a leader, Uh, as an officer, and also as a citizen, my thinking was, I wanted to take part in the same struggle that my fellow Americans were taking part in. Um, Here, uh, you don't need any rationalization whatsoever. You're just helping folks who are like you uh, resist a tyrannical, oppressive, and genocidal regime that is bent not only on destroying, um, you know, Ukraine, which is what happens to be the first and closest thing to them, but also Poland, the Baltics, Finland, Germany, uh, and anybody else who gets in their way. So, um, it's, it's, it was an abstraction to a certain extent when it was Afghanistan in Afghanistan. I cared about my fellow American, uh, citizens and soldiers, the people to my left and my right here. I care about everybody.
0: Mm. I, I I just want to thank you for sharing all of this because everything you're sharing I think is important and so timely and courageous. Let me ask you, you know, there's everybody's waiting for a spring offensive. Um, we've been talking about the infusion of American HIMARS and now the pending or or actual arrival of Patriot missiles from America and Abrams tanks. I mean, when and if the Patriots hit, you're gonna probably be among the first to see them. When the Abrams hit, you're gonna be among the first to see them. Can you explain what that infusion of American hardware means for the Ukrainians right now? Um, and as it seems in large part, like part of the offensive is waiting for the logistical train to catch up, um, is, is a situation where you're looking over your shoulder and you're literally waiting for the Abrams to come rolling in. Can you explain, especially among your Ukrainian, um, you know, fellow soldiers, what, what, what that feeling and expectation is like?
1: Yeah, I'm, I don't know that there's going to be a spring offensive I know there's going to be an offensive it might be in the spring it might be in the summer it was raining for a long time here it was raining this morning and the ground when the ground is wet here you can't do shit mm. um, tanks and uh, BMPs and mechanized infantry can roll and nothing else can cars get stuck all the time out here so I think a certain extent to a certain extent this is um, uh, you know dependent on the the weather. And in the context, and the Ukrainians know this. Uh, this is their territory. um I think you know there was a, a an op-ed piece. uh Elliot Ackerman wrote an op-ed piece in Time about the importance of sending weapons to Ukraine, and he's right. I mean, we talk about this, and it's almost turned into a cliche. The importance sending more and more capable uh, equipment and weapons to Ukraine. Uh, Like I I didn't even realize this until I got here, but I I knew that these were competent and capable people. But if you give these folks the weapons they need to do the job, I mean, they're going to wreck house, you know, Mm -hmm. they're training to do this. I think a lot about 1918 and how uh, the U S the British and the French um, you know, were able to hit the weak points of the German defense and, and the German fortifications in 1918, I don't think the world has ever seen a more robust, capable in-depth defense than in 1918 on the Western front. The Germans had that, sh- had that S locked tight, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, but that's that's what we're training to do here. We're training to go through defenses. We're training to go into villages, urban areas if necessary, bypass if we can. And what will enable that to happen fluidly and uh, with devastating effect and great violence of action is u s. weapons and u s. armament. So uh, I think Elliot Ackerman is completely correct. If you equip these folks with what they need, Then you got the soldiers here who are willing to do it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I want to just building on that,
0: Adrian, you know, if if I could put this video in front of every member of Congress and in front of the president who's hesitant about sending F 16s, what is your message to people about F 16s and about anything else you think you need right now as an American whose life could depend on it?
1: My message to every American when it comes to F-16s or F-22s or satellites or just about anything you can imagine is assume that the Ukrainians are, are capable and competent um, and can figure out how to use it faster than you can faster mm-hmm. than you think they can. Let's put it that way. Um, the The sooner this stuff gets here, the sooner they're going to, free their territory, liberate their territory. And the sooner this war is going to be over. And frankly, that's what everybody wants here. You know, nobody wants war. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants this thing to be settled. Probably the Russians even want it. Probably Mm. the Russians even want the Ukrainians to roll through and blitz them the hell out of Ukraine because Mm. they've been sitting in trenches for a year waiting for somebody. Putin's not going to do it. Putin's not going to order them out. But if the Ukrainians roll through with Abrams tanks and F-16s and artillery and HIMARS and ATAKIMs, then they're going to have a reason to leave. And they'll leave real fast.
0: Mm. And it's possible we could see mass defections, right? And we could see folks throwing down their arms. I mean, we've never seen them hit as hard as they could potentially be hit in this next phase. But let me ask you, you're also a student of American politics. You're a student of the American media This is not happening in a vacuum. The public relations component of this, the political component of this is also incredibly important. Zelensky continues to galvanize support around the world. Putin tries to undermine it. And Tucker Carlson got fired. Tucker Carlson, who was talking to many Americans, uh, in, in my view, in support of Putin, undermining the support for Ukraine. He's out of the picture now, or at least he's off the air for now which means a couple million people uh, less will hear from him. Um, can can you react to that? Because you know the influence that Fox News and someone like Tucker Carlson can have. Um, can you talk about what that means for where you sit right now?
1: People are aware of it. Uh, I've never paid too much attention to Tucker Carlson. He's always seemed like a provocateur to me. Um, not a very serious person. A person who, you know, like Glenn Greenwald, Likes asking all of the most provocative questions, but doesn't care about the answers, which again makes them pretty lousy journalists. Um, but the people here are aware of it. They're especially aware of the, the pro-Russian component. Um, you know, this to me is an apolitical issue, and always has been. Um, in my town, the you know, I'm a, a, a small pol- I'm a small town politician. And uh, you know the Republicans and the Democrats have always been very much like this is you know obviously Ukraine defending itself a small country defending itself against a bigger country um, that's a no brainer you know this isn't something that 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 that's really uh, partisan or politicized it's become politicized I think unfortunately because uh, um, because Biden has gotten credit justifiably for supporting Ukraine. And um take my hat off here as the as the sun goes down. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean like it's it's unfortunate for for Tucker Carlson, I think for him as a person <laughs> that he he has sort of gone down this very cynical rabbit hole of only ever asking questions and not standing for something. My my feeling, I suspect that if you were to Ask him as a person if he supports Putin and uh, Russia or Zelensky in Ukraine. He would probably say Ukraine. Uh, uh, like, but but he seems compelled, almost pathologically, to 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 ask questions that end up putting Ukraine in a bad light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I don't know. I, I look at him and folks like him in the Republican Party, and I, I, I it, it's like a drowning person who's coming up for air. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like. Guys, stop! You're hurting yourselves. You look terrible. You're saying dumb things. Just like, just say normal things.
0: To to that point, Adrian, I mean, the, the political uh, landscape is unfolding. Desantis in the last twenty four hours has urged a ceasefire in Ukraine, which has landed like a dud um, and seems tone deaf. But it, maybe put it if, if someone said over there to the people you're with right now, hey. Uh, we want to urge a Russian ceasefire, how would they react to that?
1: The, if people asked for a Russian ceasefire here, there would be one of two reactions. Um, the first reaction, which would be predicated on the ceasefire involving a complete Russian um, abandonment and withdrawal from all Ukrainian territories from Crimea to Lugansk would be greeted with jubilation and uh, a sincere willingness to negotiate in good faith for peace, both in Ukraine and in the world. If, on the other hand, that uh, on this on the second hand, uh, the the call was for a ceasefire that required Ukraine to give up territories or concede territories, that would be met with a appropriate levels of disgust and horror. Um, and, uh, because h- how could anybody on the left certainly, and probably even on the right, on the Liberty minded, right. Um, countenance, one country taking a bite out of another country. You can't, you can't in good faith. Hmm.
0: Adrian, um, in your, in your mind and with your family, how long
1: are you pr- preparing to be there? Um, I'm hoping to get back pretty soon. My plan was only to help the Ukrainians prepare for this offensive. Uh, I'm doing everything that I can. They're doing everything that they can. Um, they're getting the weapons. Um, uh, they're getting a lot of new weapons, but I, I don't know if, if it's enough. I hope it's enough. Um, but that's, yeah. So so um, I, I, I don't know that I'm in good health enough to help with an offensive personally uh of course i'd be happy to fight um but but all i'm doing here at the moment is training
0: mm. um adrian what else i want to let you go the sun is going down you've got training to do um but what do you want people to know about the men and women that you're serving with i feel like in every war the the the, the service members become kind of this monolith right And amazingly, I wouldn't have expected it, but I feel like we don't know the names of Ukrainian heroes. We don't know many people in Ukraine outside of Zelensky. But like, what do you want people to know about the men and women who are feet away from you right now preparing to die? What do you want people to know about them?
1: These people are young and old men and women who do not want this war. They never wanted this war to come to them. They've got families, many of them, or they're hoping to start families. They have the same hopes and dreams of every American and every Westerner, every German, every Britisher, every Frenchman, every Italian. They just want peace for their country. They want to be able to do this for themselves. And, uh, and there's this awful bully. I don't even think all Russians probably want to be doing this, but every Russian who is supporting Putin right now does. And what they're enabling is um, the greatest crime that, that one person or nation can do to another. And that is the, the, the crime of an offensive war. And so what I want folks in America to understand is all we have to do, we don't have to even be, do this in an active sense. Many people can do it in a passive sense. It's just support Ukraine. Mm. Just keep supporting Ukraine, you know, in your prayers in your thoughts. If you can give 10 or 20 bucks to some charity, that's great. If you feel that your tax dollars have supported it through the weapons shipments, that's great too, but please Keep supporting Ukraine, you will not be on the wrong side of history if you support Ukraine. Mm. And if for whatever reason you think supporting Russia is the correct thing to do, I beg you, beg you to take another look at this, take another hard look at this, at the facts of it. Take another look at it from the other perspective, Mm. because you'll see, I guarantee that this is, this is the fight that needs to happen right now in our generation And if Ukraine wins, a lot of bad things that will probably happen otherwise won't. And if Ukraine loses, good God, I mean, I don't want to be out here for another year or 10 years, you know, doing this with with Nazi Germany 2.0.
0: You are um, an incredible American. You're an incredible global citizen. I'm going to ask you to stick around for three minutes for a couple of extra questions for our Patreon members that are supporting this work and helping us bring this kind of content my thanks to them especially um but you're you're a true hero man I'm honored to call you as a friend I knew you were gonna go back um I I, I just want to send you all our love and support and our strength and all our best to your family thank you for cutting away from what you're doing to spend a couple of minutes with us. Um, I think you're you're an incredibly valuable spokesperson now as well. And I know when you get home, you're gonna to continue to do that. but stay safe, man. keep your head down and 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 Slava Ukraine. Slava. And stay vigilant, man. Stay vigilant. You got it. There you have it, folks. Right now, Adrian is somewhere in Ukraine training people to fight for the future of our world. And he shows us yet again that the helpers are out there. There's no finer example than Adrian Bonnenberger. And you can support the other helpers and the people of Ukraine and the refugees of the conflict by supporting a couple of charities that I'll link to in the show notes, including Razom for Ukraine. It's R-A-Z-O-M for Ukraine.org or the Ukrainian Freedom Fund at ukfreedomfund.org, or IRSCT, the Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services, at irsct.org. I'll link to them all in the show notes. There are a way you can learn more about the helpers, support the helpers, and be a helper yourself.
1: Always look for the helpers.
0: There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. As always, check the hashtag LookForTheHelpers on social media and share yours with me. I'll do my best to amplify it. No matter how bad the storms are, we will continue to shine a light through it and highlight the helpers because they're out there, including an epic one that was sadly lost this week. The great Harry Belafonte passed away this week, and he was a true American hero in so many ways and an icon of the greatest generation. He served in the military in World War II and is another example of why the G.I. Bill was one of the best government programs in American history. After he completed his service in 1945, Harry Belafonte returned to New York City where he used his G.I. Bill benefits to pay for his classes at the New School Dramatic Workshop where he was alongside future actors Marlon Brando and Sidney Poitier who would become a lifelong friend of Belafonte. They were the greatest generation, and they were helpers, and none finer than civil rights leader, American icon, and American veteran, Harry Belafonte. Check him out and learn more. Harry Belafonte and the entire greatest generation have endured the showers of April that will ensure the flowers of May will blossom for many generations to come. They're what being a helper looks like, and whether it's spring, summer, fall, or winter, They can motivate all of us to do the same. And while you're on social, be sure to play guest the guest every Wednesday night. I posted it last night. I don't think any of you got it, but I will continue to post it every Wednesday and you can play along and go to independentamericans.us where you can find video of my conversation with Adrian and links to all past episodes, ways to get involved and links to news items, press hits and lots of other stuff. But check it out, independentamericans.us. You can also get some merchandise that you can order now for Mother's Day, Father's Day, flag day, July 4th, whatever you want. And you can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. Big shout out to all our Patreon members who will get an exclusive special piece of content with Adrian. You also got a heads up. I told you in advance that today's guest was going to be Adrian Bonnenberger, only if you're a Patreon member. And for a little more light, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time, check me out in my weekly news segment on News Nation with Marnie Hughes. We're talking national security, Ukraine, vets, and political stuff. I'll also post it in the show notes. And last night, I was also on the Dan Abrams show on News Nation. I'm doing a lot more News Nation this spring, so check it out on social and stay tuned for more. And be sure to hit up Independent Americans on all your social media platforms and subscribe if you're not subscribed for some reason. If you're new here, please subscribe. It's absolutely free. And share it with five friends that you want to give a nice gift to as we start May. We continue to burn up the podcast charts all around the country and around the world. We're holding strong in Vietnam at number 191. And we fell a few spots down to number 71 in Azerbaijan. But we continue to take the world by storm. And F1, Formula One racing, one of my favorite sports, will be in Azerbaijan this weekend for the Grand Prix. So if you're not an F1 fan, this is a good one to check out. And the week after that is going to be Miami. There's a lot going on in America and around the world. Last week was 420, the celebration of cannabis and marijuana and freedom. And I say hooray to that. But I think this week we found out that some senators might still be high. Because just last night, a bill to expand cannabis research for veterans, failed in the Senate. This was a bipartisan package of very basic veterans' bills that were blocked on the Senate floor Wednesday over Republican so-called concerns about medical marijuana. Now, the bill was pretty straightforward. It was only a research bill that allowed the VA to implement new research into medical cannabis to include how it impacts veterans' overall quality of life. It was to support clinical trials that would look at not only the direct impact on specific ailments and pains, but also the effects of different forms, potencies, and methods of cannabis delivery. It wasn't even going to allow VA doctors to prescribe marijuana to patients, even in the 37 states where it's legal to use. And in case you're not up to speed on this, in 2017, the National Academy of Sciences found conclusive or substantial evidence that cannabis is helpful in treating chronic pain disorders, depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. But there's still no federal research into marijuana-based products because it's been stalled by FDA rules. So here in 2023, this is incredibly stupid and frustrating. Most veterans, most civilians, and most veterans groups support medical cannabis. It's popular, bipartisan, and it's common sense. But right after 420... Ironically, it was 42 senators who were still stuck decades in the past, and vets will suffer for it. I'll post the roll call when I can see it, and I'll post it in the show notes if I can, but find the 42 senators that voted no and let them know how you feel. Because Cannabis for Vets is a lot more than about cannabis. It's about independence. It's about freedom, and it's also about science. Cannabis has given a lot of veterans hope, and this is a time where we need some hope. And this week, another dose of hope will be coming all across America because the NFL draft is happening, which is always fun in my view. You get to see all these kids from around the country who've worked in their entire lives and who finally made it. I survived the worst, but my life is glorious oh. Better know that i leave that be hurdle And I'm so victorious oh. Take a look, I'm a symbol of greatness Now you can call me Morpheus yeah. As force of the wind But they believe I'm so no The NFL Draft is so fun So many guys and families that made it It's a time of hope and a time of energy And this song has been giving me energy all week So I thought it might do the same for you And I wanted to share it It's of course Linkin Park which will forever be a pillar in the soundtrack of my life. Many of you may remember when Mike Shinoda was on this show, and I hope he'll come back. And in that soundtrack of my life, there's probably more than a few guest appearances from the great Buster Rhymes, but it's fun stuff. And so is baseball right now. Because if you haven't tuned in, this year in Major League Baseball, there is a pitch clock. Pitchers have a pitch clock where they must deliver the pitch or be penalized. And I am a massive fan of this new pitch clock. It's completely catapulted baseball into 2023. It's made the game so much more fun and watchable. It also makes it infinitely easier to teach the game and makes it much more accessible to my two little boys. It's a total game changer. I only wish they did it years ago. But this April and this May is a time for hope, a time for inspiration, a time for change, and a time to keep fighting, to keep pushing, to keep hoping. Because summer is coming. Warmer and better days are almost here, and especially for independence. So this April, this May, this summer, this year, and this decade, independence are the future. And we're not alone in our independence. America might be more divided than ever, but in Independent Americans and Righteous Media, we are laying the seeds of change to change that once and for all. Adding light to contrast the heat of all the other political shows. So if you're among the now almost 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. Or if you're just not a die-hard partisan, you're a democrat or a republican, this is also your show. Or if you're just a concerned person anywhere in the world from America to Ukraine to Azerbaijan and you care about the future of your world, this is your show. All are welcome. We invite you to be a part of the solution. We made it. See, we did it. Did it. Because our independent movement is the hope for the future this spring. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat, disrupting the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our society and all around the world. All the way to Ukraine. Our movement is growing. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Adrian Bonnenberger. My deepest thanks to him especially. For taking the time away from the battlefield to share with us. And a big shout out to his entire family for supporting him and for all they're doing. If you like this episode, please share it far and wide. And invite others to join us in declaring their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And that freedom makes the hope grow. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. So send some of that hope and your vigilance to Adrian and to everyone else in Ukraine right now and all spring and all summer long and until it's done. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant and we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava, Ukraine. Happy spring and stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.